Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 169. Royal Caribbean offers cruises around the world, and when the days get longer and warmer here in the Northern Hemisphere, many ships head to Europe for the season. Once there, Royal Caribbean offers quite a variety of itineraries on some amazing ships that visit incredible ports. This week, we have a review of a recent Navigator of the Seas 13-night Western Mediterranean cruise from Southampton to review. We'll discuss what is so fun about this itinerary, as well as the highlights of the ship. Here we go. You know, I love featuring listener feedback on this podcast, including when we get a chance to talk with people who just got back from Royal Caribbean Cruises. And this week, we're really lucky to be able to get a chance to talk to someone who just went on a 13-night Western Mediterranean cruise from Southampton on my favorite, Royal Caribbean's Navigator of the Seas. Joining me this week, it's Dirk Erkin from Germany. Dirk, welcome. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. Great to be on your show. Absolutely, sir. It's a pleasure to have you on here and uh, talk about a cruise on my favorite ship, Navigator of the Seas. Let's start with the with a very easy question for you, Dirk. Why did yeah. you pick this sailing? Uh, generally, it was an itinerary. Um, we wanted to go the Mediterranean again. We have done the uh, Eastern Mediterranean several times, but never been uh, in the Western Mediterranean. So that, and we wanted uh, a, a cruise without a flight. So uh, starting point was England, Southampton. So we had a chance to drove back to drove the car to Southampton, and we had to, to make the decision between the Navigator of the Seas and the Independence of the Seas. Both had the exact same uh, itinerary. Independence started uh, on Sunday and the, uh, Saturday, and then we get her on Sunday. And then the choice was a matter of the a matter of the budget. The navigator was two hundred bucks cheaper for us than Independence. Interesting. Uh, first of all, I, I was actually I was most surprised by the fact that you drove to England, a an island. I forgot about the the channel. Right, that's how you got there. Yeah, we, yeah, we took a ferry. Ah, ferry or that. And it, yeah, and it. Uh, all in all, it was a six-hour drive for us, including oh, two from the ferry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. We're living so on the west, uh, west border of Germany, near the Dutch border. Oh, okay. Very easy. So what kind of stateroom did you get for this ship? We had a balcony stateroom. Uh, and the other couple, we made our cruise together with, our, with my brother-in-law. He had an uh, inside stateroom with a virtual balcony. Interesting. So that brings me to a first question for you, first real hard question for you, Dirk, is you had a balcony. They had an inside, although a virtual balcony. With your itinerary, would you say a balcony was was necessary? I mean, it's always nice to have, but I mean, is it it something you really need for this itinerary or could you have been okay with your your brother-in-law's inside stateroom as well? Uh, For the sea days, for the first two sea days uh, starting in England – a virtual balcony cabin would be absolutely okay. But then in the Mediterranean, the temperature was always good and nice view. So I prefer always a balcony. <laughs> Very good. That actually, there's a good, that leads me to another question. What's your cruise history like? How many cruises have you taken? Are you new to cruising? You're a veteran. Give us some feedback this, on kind of like how long you've been cruising for. Yeah, this was our fifth cruise. The first was back in 2012. It was on the Marin of the Seas. The Eastern Mediterranean. Then we did a 
to on the brilliance of the seas and, and the Baltics, the transatlantic from uh, New Orleans to Barcelona on the serenade of the seas. And last year we were on the rhapsody of the seas in the Eastern Mediterranean. Awesome. Very, very cool. So, All right. So let's talk about, I, let's, let's start with the ship, of course. And we mentioned yeah. your stateroom. What else, what did you like about Navigator of the Seas? What kind of sticks out in your mind as you look back on it now? Um, Navigator is a ship. Uh, this has the absolute right size for me, I think. It's not too big, about 3,000 uh, passengers or 3,500. Um, but it has all the things I wanted to have on a ship. Different uh, restaurants, the flow rider, the many activities you could do on the on the navigator. A little bit more than on the brilliance, uh, um, of course. Um, the Royal Promenade was really amazing for my wife. <laughs> Always a shopping tour. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and yeah, it's a great ship. Absolutely the right size for me. Good. You talked about. You mentioned dining, so of course you know yeah. what I'm going to ask you. Dirk, yes. you have to know what's coming your way. Did you try Sabor Modern Mexican while on board? Of course. It's the first time we had a chance to go on modern on Sabor. And uh, yeah, um, I'm, it was absolutely amazing. I love Sabor. <laughs> awesome. So glad to hear that you enjoyed it. What, did you, what was your favorite dish that you got at Sabor? We had a specialty um, chicken. It was a burrito. It was not oh, on the menu, but but they made it uh, on this day exclusively. And, of course, the margaritas and the guacamole. It's just, I don't oh. Know. Oh. Amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> the best guacamole <laughs> I've ever eaten in my whole life. <laughs> wow. See? There you go. Yeah. If, yeah. if you can't take the word of a German, I don't know whose you can. So there you go. <laughs> That's, that, that, that says it right there. That's great to hear. Did you and eat in any, now, at any of the other restaurants on board? Not this time. We have been to uh, shops uh, on the other ships. Um, but we are really love the main dining room, and I wanted to go to shops, my, but my wife uh, didn't want to go, so ordered a filet mignon in the main dining room from from shops. Nice, that still works. I like that. How, what was the main dining room like for you? Did you enjoy it? Yes, absolutely. We had my time dining. We always have my time dining, uh, but we managed to sit on on the same table every evening, and so. We get notes of the waiters, and it was absolutely fantastic. The service was outstanding, uh, and the, the dining was absolutely fabulous for us. Cool. Great Here's a question. You're yeah. on in the main dining room. It's a 13-night cruise. After you get to night seven, do they just start repeating the menu in no. the same order no. again? No. Never had the same uh, menu. Oh, so what do they do? They got like a, a new menu that you don't usually yeah, see? A new menu. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Cool. I like that. It was That's the same nice. on the transatlantic when we did our 60 nights. So we had, it didn't repeat at all on the 60 nights. Wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's, I learned something today. That I, I like that. So mm-hmm. talking about your cruise here, you have – it's actually you know a 13-night cruise. I'm always thinking, oh, man, it's got a lot of sea days. It's really not. You only had one, two, three, four sea days. Four sea and days, you, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then a lot of port stops. Boy, I hope you like the ports. Um, yeah. your, Eight port stops in a row. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a lot right there. You went to yeah, Gibraltar, yeah. Uh, some a couple stops in Spain, Palma de Mallorca, Barcelona, Valencia, yeah. Malaga, Cadiz, uh, Lisbon, Portugal. What were your What was your favorite port? Lisbon. I've never Why? been to Lisbon, to Portugal before. It was a 
port is absolutely amazing, right at the river, uh, the Teaser River, I think it's called. And uh, we have a fantastic view over the city, over the old town of, of Lisbon, and uh, literally a 10-minute walk away, and you're uh, right in the city center. Cool. And it was, it was the first time in, in Portugal, and I guess you really you like the, the culture of it. it was, it's a nice city? Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice city. Uh, um, I was a little bit dis- disappointed about Barcelona. Why is that? Uh, I think it it's simply not a clean city, <laughs> so to say, and too crowded. It was a Sunday, and millions of people, of tourists were there. So uh, in, in Lisbon, it was almost empty <laughs> in comparison to Barcelona. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What did you – your weather was good for this, for this time of year? Yes, it was uh, – um, every time it was over 30 degrees Celsius, I think uh, between 75 and 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Nice. Mm-hmm. What was uh, Did you do excursions on your own on any of these ports, or did you do excursions through Royal Caribbean or a mix of both? Um, my wife and I, we did all by ourselves. My brother-in-law did a, um, a Segway tour with Royal Caribbean. In, it was in Malaga, and they did a kayak tour in, in Cartagena with Royal Caribbean, a five-hour kayak tour. So I, I'm glad you, I'm glad yeah. you mentioned this because uh, doing the excursions on your own, did you feel – did you think you did the right thing? Did it work out well for you? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how did you – what did you do the usual research? You went to places like TripAdvisor, just Googled around? Or how did you, how did you approach planning? Because I know a lot of people probably – you know, when they're approaching European ports or ports in general and they want to do things on their own, I think it's mm-hmm. always helpful to be able to share how you got your information, how you found the tour. Did you do book tours in advance? Did you just get off the ship and figure it out then? What was your approach? Uh, we did a lot of research with via TripAdvisor and uh, some and Google Maps. And we booked in advance a hop on, hop off but tour buses in Barcelona. But this work didn't work out so well because uh, we booked it on the ship. And when we finally came to the bus station, they didn't accept our booking because I hadn't printed out. <laughs> I thought it was <laughs> enough when I showed them my, my uh, smartphone with the yeah. receipt. But uh, no, I had to find an internet cafe and to print it out there. Uh, so not so... Uh, not so well. <laughs> that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's annoying. Um, all right, but otherwise, I mean, that's the worst you can say about your plans. That's not bad, right? Yeah. In Palma de Mallorca, we rented a car, and we drove around the car. Palma de Mallorca, the Mallorca is an island. It's two-hour flight away from us, so we've been there, I think, 20 times before, so we just headed out to the beach and had a wonderful beach day there. Nice. I like mm-hmm. it. When uh, what did you think of in in terms of going on uh, Navigator and going on this kind of itinerary? Did you find that it was a, a good you know it offered uh, it was a good fit for this kind of itinerary in terms of you know having a balance of what you're having on the ship and what you're doing in port? Did you feel there wasn't yeah. time on the yeah. ship? What was your yeah. what was your take on it? Yeah, we haven't done all the ports on in Cartagena. We stayed on the ship. For ourselves because we have been there before on our transatlantic so we had the ship literally for us alone it was absolutely empty i've never experienced it that's 
about 80% of the people get uh, off board. So it cool. was very nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. So and let's talk about um, back up, back on, on board Navigator. Uh, what yeah. were your favorite activities on board? Uh, the trivia. <laughs> I'm a huge <laughs> trivia fan. But they didn't, great? Call it, they didn't call it trivia there. They, they call it quiz. Really? Yeah. Also the cruise compass. So always stated as quiz because huh. 95% of the passengers were British. And uh, they call it quiz and not trivia. <laughs> That's that, that that I learned something today. I had no idea that was a that was a difference. Wow, I'll have to uh, I'll have to look for that next time. Wow, cool. But I love trivia as well, or quiz, whatever you want to call it. I love that. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. Did you win it all? Uh, yeah, the uh, keychain and the base cap. <laughs> hey, it's it's the pride of it, right? That yeah, you won, and absolutely. that that's all that matters. Yeah. Interesting for me was about that 95% of the passengers were British. I've never experienced that before. Although most of the time, you know, even in the Mediterranean, 60% are from North America. So, uh, wow. Yeah. I wonder if it's, I mean, obviously the the cruise ship went out of Southampton, so that's England. You're going to get a lot. But that is uh, surprising based on your experience before of going taking yeah. european cruises and and having yeah. a different uh, makeup interesting i wonder yeah. was it a was it a was it a holiday uh, in the uk by chance maybe that factored into it no holiday was over and so were the passengers so they, they were the very oldest passengers i've ever seen i think average <laughs> age average age uh, above 60 <laughs> That was it's funny that happened to you on Navigator because the first cruise that we went on on Navigator of the Seas was out of Galveston, Texas and yeah. it was off season and we had the same thing where everyone I felt like my wife and I were bringing down the average age of that cruise but yes. <laughs> yes. a lot of wheelchairs and uh, yeah in every port there was an ambulance standing at the quay and they were catching some passengers and bringing them to the hospital wow. seen that before uh, two quick questions for you, Dirk. Number one, did you purchase a drink package on this ship? No, we didn't. And uh, I thought about it, but I, then I did the math, and it absolutely was would be too expensive for us. Um, and did you feel you did the right decision? Yes. Um, we paid about $600 for both of us. Oh wow! Yeah, so, you definitely came out so no way that we uh, that it would uh, pay off for us. <laughs> were there drink specials on board that you noticed? I know when when I was on Navigator earlier this year, there were a lot of drink specials. Did you see like you know buy one get one free or or buy certain one, get discounts? One free, yes, yes. I was looking for the drink card you talked about in the podcast several times ago, but uh, they didn't offer it. Don't offer it. Interesting. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And my other question was, did you purchase a Voom package on board? Yes, I purchased a Voom uh, stream and surf package. And I did, did some... for you? Uh, great. I did some periscopes, and it worked, worked out. Uh, it told me before that uh, there is no real Voom on Navigator, but I had literally no problems with Voom. Only in special places, like the theater, it was not so good. But uh, on the others, it was perfect. So you did the trivia. Did you see any of the shows on board? Yes. Uh, we did a stand-up comedian from England, uh, the ballroom dancing show, then the uh, 
Royal Caribbean singers and dancers. Two shows with them. Yeah, that's what we saw. Hmm? Did you see the ice skating show? Uh, yeah, and the ice skating show, of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, interesting for me was uh, I've seen the ice skating show on the Mariner of the Seas some years ago, and then there at the Mariner they offered us tickets for it, for the ice skating show. And this time you could choose... Um, your number of the mustard station said when you're uh, about to go to the show. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. They've uh, Dirk is talking about uh, this uh, way of getting people advance reservations yep. for tickets. So on on, Navi- on uh, Voyager class ships, you don't have an online booking tickets for shows like you do on the Oasis or Quantum class. But occasionally you will find this happens on Voyager class and Freedom class ships. You'll have some sort of a ticketing system. I've seen both, and I've seen mm-hmm. where. They have sometimes they just have a, a we call it in the United States a cattle call. They'll just mm-hmm. have like say, okay we're going to be standing at this place at this time. Come get your tickets and people go down there and get the tickets and then that way they have and they still there still is room for showing up at the last minute. Mm-hmm. But you know it's just an easy way to do it. But I've also seen this other way that you just described, Dirk, where they have they decide by muster stations. They'll have let's say two shows and they say okay everybody in these muster stations can go see the show on this day and everyone who has this Mm -hmm. muster station can go see the show on that day. And what did you think of the muster station approach? Did you like it? Yes, it was very easy. So, but nobody controlled it. So I guess, uh, um, no, we hadn't, hadn't to show us our CPROS cards. You could only, you could just go in and take a seat. Huh? Interesting. Yeah, I wonder um, – because I know that with ticketing at least, when you show up from up until – I'm making up times here. But let's say 15 minutes before the show, Mm -hmm. it's ticketed people only and then they open up to everybody whether you have a Mm -hmm. ticket or not. And and it goes like that. But it's it's always – you can never really predict what it's going to be on your cruise. But just be aware that if you're going on a Voyager class ship or even a Freedom class ship, the ice skating show is usually where I've seen it. They may have some sort of a uh, procedure like this to get advanced reservations. Mm -hmm. Did you – Dirk, did they? Where did you see the the this ticketing thing? Was it announced, or was it in the cruise compass, or it was in the cruise compass? In the cruise compass, okay. And on the on the stateroom television. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's when well. they talk about it, when the cruise cruise director talked about it, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. What were you, what were your um? Give me if someone was going to navigate the seas tomorrow. I wish that was me. What would you <laughs> say? Um, what what would be your top three tips? For navigator of the seas, what are your three favorite things you did on board? Things you would recommend? Um, for sailways, go to the helipad. Definitely, yes. <laughs> absolutely best place. <laughs> absolutely, it, it would be my number one. Number two, um, oh, go to the specialty dining. Go to Sabor. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I like that. The only thing about Sibor what was not so good was the view. No windows inside. <laughs> You're just looking this. at the food. You're just looking yeah. at the food. You don't, you don't have to look at anything yeah. else. <laughs> and number three, I wasn't aware of, is that uh, in the, when you have breakfast, you can go in Giovanni's table right before the wind jammer. And they open it yeah, up. We, Nobody yeah, we had that. <laughs> We had that on Freedom of the Seas. They had that opened up. It was for Crown and Anchor Society. I believe it was Diamond or Above. I know I got in there and I felt 
like I was really important because I got to go in there. <laughs> but um, but I remember that was that was the case. So yeah, it is worth it paying attention to to be able to see. I was going to ask you yep. one other thing. Was you mentioned the sail away on the helipad? What were mm-hmm. the best ports that you went on for sail away? Are there any ones that are like really good to be out on the helipad for when you do sail away or sail into? Lisbon, definitely Lisbon, absolute best port for it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Because uh, you are riding uh, on the river about half an hour until you reach the port finally from the open sea oh. to the port. It took half an hour. You know, under the, the bridge, it looks similar to the Golden Gate Bridge in, in San Francisco. It's amazing, amazing view. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like that. All right. Before, before I let you go, Dirk, I'm going to ask you a couple quick questions to kind of get to know you a little bit better. So just say the first thing that comes to your mind when, when I ask the question. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. Favorite restaurant on a Royal Caribbean ship? Uh, so far it was Chops. Now it's Sabor. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Dirk and I are friends, by the way. Just, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite drink while on a Royal Caribbean cruise? The Grand Sabor Margarita. Ah, good choice. Yeah. Favorite port of call to visit? This is really a tough one. Um, I've seen over 40 ports now. Wow. Okay. I would say either uh, St. Martin or Lisbon or Istanbul or Stockholm. Oh, all of them. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And lastly, okay. favorite... <laughs> <laughs> Favorite song on the radio or your iPod, iPod today? Today it is Bob Dylan. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. <laughs> I mean, an appropriate choice there for uh, Mr. Dylan's uh, Nobel Peace Prize, right? Or the uh, Literature Prize. Literature, yes. Literature, yeah. He didn't solve any world problems. He just wrote some nice stuff. So, <laughs> right. Dirk, thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you for having me, Matt. I absolutely enjoyed it. Each week on the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, I like to take some time to answer your emails, whether it's a question about a cruise, a comment about something to be read on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, or really a discussion of everything Royal Caribbean. This is your part of the show where your voice can be heard about really anything and everything Royal Caribbean, and I love it because this is our opportunity to talk Royal Caribbean together. And if you want to send me your email, you can do so by sending an email to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, and Remember, no question too new, no question too advanced. We love talking about it all, whether it's a really a newbie question or something that's a little more far-fetched. Nonetheless, it's a good opportunity to talk about everything Royal Caribbean. And we'll start things off with an email uh, that comes to us from Nia Crockett, who writes, Matt, I'll be sailing on Oasis of the Seas on November 5th on an eight-night Western Caribbean cruise. This will be the first time Oasis will be sailing out of Port Canaveral. Do you know if they do anything special for that? When I first signed up for last year on board the Freedom of the Seas, they called it the quote-unquote maiden voyage. Just wondering if I should look forward to anything special. I am so excited, and listening to your podcast has been a fantastic and informative time filler as I anxiously await my trip. Nia, great question. You know, you're absolutely right. This will be Oasis of the Seas moving to Port Canaveral, and Freedom is actually moving down to Port Everglades. They're essentially switching places, kind of musical chairs here in terms of cruise ships. And your question is, was there anything special about it? Well, there can be. Uh, the What's interesting is Oasis will actually be moving up there to Port Canaveral on a one-night cruise that with no guests on board. The, the reason, if you're saying, why don't why don't they offer a one-night cruise? I'd go on a one-night cruise, and 
I, me, Matt, would be one of those people included. The reason is because uh, government U.S. regulations don't allow for cruises to nowhere. They have to go outside the United States. It's part of the uh, maritime regulations. And if you really want an explanation of that, I'm sure I could dig it up somewhere on Wikipedia. But uh, nonetheless, just keep in mind that they can't offer that kind of a cruise. So uh, when they or she arrives, that we have seen things like you know maybe there'll be a little a little bit of pomp and circumstance. Usually when a when a cruise ship in general goes to it comes to a port for the first time. And I don't think Oasis has ever been to Port Canaveral that I'm aware of. They will ha- hold a small little ceremony on board. Usually the the, the, the captain and the people that work at the port, uh, usually the port administrators, hold some sort of a small ceremony on board the ship. There's a plaque exchange. That's pretty customary maritime tradition. And you can actually find these plaques usually around the ship, any Royal Caribbean ship for that matter. Usually I've seen them around the... Well, I've seen them all over the place. Usually they're on a lower deck close to the gangway. But you'll see them all over. These little plaques that essentially mark the date the first time that ship entered that port. And they, depending on the ship, you'll, you'll find you'll, they'll go back you know, years and years and years to different ports and, and times. So there can be me. And as a guest, I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot going on. I could be wrong. I mean, honestly, Royal Caribbean hasn't published anything, Nia. So your guess is as good as mine. I suspect there will be some... The, the uh, plaque ceremony kind of thing. Not that you as a guest would be able to see that. I'm not sure if there's anything, anything for sale in or sail away for the first cruise where perhaps the fireboats there will do something special and do that water spout thingy that <laughs> that fireboats do when new ships arrive. I'm not sure, but you are certainly on the first sailing out of Port Canaveral. Nia, when you do get on board and you are super excited, be sure to let us know and write us back what happened, if there was anything special from a guest standpoint, because you know what? This kind of thing happens a lot, where ships will move from one port to another. We see Vision of the Seas coming to Galveston in another year or so, so hey, it's going to come around sooner or later, and perhaps, Nia, other people have the same question as you. But thank you for the email. Good start here, and let's keep things going with our next email, and it is from... Phil, who writes, Hi Matt, I was just on the Star Class on Allure of the Seas, and it's an amazing experience from boarding to getting off the ship. Amazing what they could do from stocking the minibar to bringing water, snacks, and almost anything you want to that you request. Daily, you will receive surprises on the table and other things to look forward to as well. We're looking forward to 2017 in June when we go on Harmony of the Seas. And Phil actually gave me a nice bullet list here of sort of the highlights of the uh, the Star Class, the part of the Royal Suite Class. And Phil writes here, On Allure, there are three genies that handle 11 suites. They rotate every week, so there are three weeks they support three suites instead of four. About one month before the Royal Caribbean uh, genie sends your travel agent a survey that a that my travel agent sends me, and I completed and sent back to the travel agent with our answers. About two weeks before, they sent me some the same survey again to see if there were any changes. About a week before, they sent a different survey to the primary reservation person. The survey consisted of interest, what we would like to do, food preferences, interest the children have, this will result with the children getting surprised one of the days of the cruise. I think it came the second day, but not positive. And how would you want your mini bar stocked? We chose water, milk, orange juice, and beer. Three or four days before the cruise, the genie sends you a texting app you can use on your cell phone and have direct contact with them three days before the cruise and one week after the cruise. We use it to request glasses of wine, restaurant reservations, setting up tours, and just about anything else you might like or desire. We didn't realize when we arrived at the pier there's a special area for someone that's waiting for you to take your luggage. You would normally check directly to the room after going through the x-ray and security. After we went through security with our carry-ons, the genie was waiting for us on the other side of the metal detector, handed us our C-pass cards, and walked us to the star check-in, and then walked us to our suite. We arrived on board about 10.30 in the morning at the star area outside, of, and we were in our cabin before 11. 
One of the questions asked is your approximate arrival time, so they make sure your suite is ready. We really like that, and after checking out our suite, went to Coastal Kitchen. All specialty restaurants are included with the exception of wine pairing at 150 Central Park. Our kids with the with the went to Chef's Table twice, as per the Galilee Bridge and Theater with the genie leading the tour and an officer providing information with the gala and bridge tours. Anytime we asked for a refill of water or an, an orange juice, we got a case delivered. The beer we got, two six-packs for each that we asked, way too much for the mini bars. Much more I can talk about, but the last thing I want to mention is getting off the ship was the best and fastest we ever got off and through customs. The genie asked we want what time we want to leave and shows up 10-15 minutes before with a dolly and a steward who loaded our luggage and then proceeded directly off the ship and right to a customs officer. No lines or waiting at all. Wow, Phil, that is a great email. Thank you for the overview of the Star Class. It fits in right to that episode we did not too long ago with Lennon Laurel about their experience on Anthem of the Seas. I, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things, right? The Star Class, no question about it, is very expensive. You're paying a lot of money for it, but you do get stuff for it. It is definitely, I, I think my takeaway really is that what Royal Caribbean has done with the Royal Suite Class program in general is it is certainly a much improved suite program that offers a lot, especially when you get to that Star Class. I think the Sky Class also offers quite a bit as well, but but really that Star Class, you get some really phenomenal perks. It's, it's really about having, you know, hand-holding and and letting the genie take care of a lot of the other things that we otherwise have been accustomed to doing ourselves. So good email there. Thank you, Phil. My next email comes to us from Murph who writes, I would love to go through the Panama Canal on Royal Caribbean again. I went on a repositioning cruise years ago. I'm having trouble finding any. Are all the ships just too big? Murph, great question. First of all, I agree with you, dude. I am dying to go do Panama Canal. In fact, if you were to ask my wife, who approves or disapproves all Royal Caribbean cruise decisions I ever make, um, she, she, her, the top of her bucket list has to be a Panama Canal cruise. Unfortunately, Royal Caribbean has not been offering Panama Canal cruises in the last couple of years. And the reason is primarily is because Royal Caribbean doesn't offer cruises out of California. The Panama Canal cruises were more of a means towards an end, right? They had to get the ships over to California to offer West Coast cruises. And in that interim period, to get from the East Coast to the West Coast, they would go through the canal. Well, in recent years, Royal Caribbean has not offered any cruises out of California. And as a result, the Panama Canal cruises have kind of fallen off there. And it was interesting, Royal Caribbean CEO Michael Bailey talked a little bit about this on the President's Cruise last month, back in September, about the... Uh, someone asked about Panama Canal cruises and California cruises in general. And essentially, there's a number of issues. Number one, it's very expensive to go through the cruise... to the, through the, the canal, rather. Uh, that That's a primary problem. Number two is... They're not offering cruises out of California because their ships are able to make more money elsewhere. Essentially, the fares that Royal Caribbean can command out of California are getting are, – they can get higher fares elsewhere in the world, be it somewhere else in the United States, be it in Australia, China, Europe, who knows. But at the end of the day, and Michael Bailey said this, is Royal Caribbean is a business, and they've got to make money. They owe it to their shareholders to make the most money they can, and if they can sell cruises in California and make X – but make X plus Y somewhere else, they're going to go somewhere else and, and do that. So there's a lot of considerations. Also, the Panama Canal is still uh, very restrictive in terms of the size of the ships that can go in there. The Obviously, the smaller ships, the Radiance class and the Vision class can fit in there, but again, those ships are being served elsewhere. So it's a combination of a lot of different things. Murph, it's a good question. A lot of people have had that on their mind about a return there. In fact, Royal Caribbean did for a brief time consider offering cruises out of Panama, like the embarkation port would be in Panama, I suspect it would be in uh, Cologne, and they ended up not going with that plan. Uh, they didn't 
offer too many uh, specifics, but that was something they were considering not too long ago. You never know. I mean, this is what I will tell you if you're a Panama Canal fan, if you want to look at the positive of this, is that things change all the time, right? What's hot today in cruising may not be hot next year, two years from now, three years from now. And do I think Royal Caribbean will ever offer another cruise out of the West Coast? Yes. Do I think it's going to happen soon? Probably not. I think, and again, I have no insider information about this. This is just a guess, speculation. I think we are at least three to five years away from a return to California and or Panama Canal for that matter. Uh, Call me crazy, but I think that's at the very least what we're looking at, if not longer. It's, It's more the products of the economics of things. I mean... You can either look at this as a glass half full or half empty. The half full is sooner or later they will return. I think that's almost an inevitability. It's just a matter of time because, look, the cruise markets always change. Look at South America. Royal Caribbean was offering cruises out of South America for quite a while. The economy changed down there, and now they've completely pulled out of their, their ships out of, Cal- out of uh, South America. The glass half empty perspective is, well, other things may change, but it's not going to change anytime soon, and... When you're talking five plus years from now, that's a long time to go. So I'm not sure which answer you want to take, but hopefully, and I hope for a lot, I know a lot of folks are really interested in taking Panama Canal cruises like Murph and or cruises out of California. So I'm hoping that that will change. I would love to see them return to, to both, quite honestly. And I'm hoping with new ships coming online, with the new Quantum class ships, the new Oasis class ships, and soon, or eventually, the Icon class ships, we will see more and more uh, surplus of, of capacity and they'll have more options to deploy ships to places like California. So, thank you for the email, Murph. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Our next email comes to us from Mindy Walbesser, who writes, Hi Matt, hope you can help me because I've been reading and researching and can't get a definitive answer. How will I be able to find out prior to my cruise what theme party will be offered? Several members of the Grandeur of the Seas Facebook group told me that there will definitely be a 70s party because there always is. However, I'm looking at a recent cruise compass that listed one that had a 50s night and a 60s theme night. However, it was a nine-night New England cruise just a couple weeks ago. I'm booked on a nine-night Southern Caribbean port and Bahamas cruise for April 8th, 2017. I would really like to know if I'm packing a poodle skirt or bell bottoms. (laughs) Is there any way I can find out if I can pack the appropriate themed attire? I also looked on the Daily Cruise Planner under my cruise and under full calendar. I didn't see it there, but I'm wondering if it will be there, but something closer to the cruise. I know for Disney Cruise Line, this is where you find that information. Thanks for the help. Mindy, great question. A lot of people ask me this sort of stuff. The answer is you will not definitively know until you get on board the ship. I wish there was a better answer than that. Here's the thing, Mindy. Royal Caribbean doesn't publish these kinds of theme night entertainment stuff ahead of time. They do that because, from what I've been told over the years, it's the same reason why they also don't post uh, past cruise compasses, is because they want to manage expectations. And if they tell you, Mindy, there'll be a 70s night, and then there ends up not being a 70s night, you're disappointed. But for most people, they don't know there's going to be a 70s night. So if they don't tell them ahead of time, there's no disappointment. If there is one, that's great. Hey, look at this great entertainment. And if they don't do it, no one knows any better, and it is what it is. No one ever promised you anything. So it's really about managing expectations. Now, I know that's not the answer you want, Mindy. What you are doing, though, is exactly what I was going to tell you to do, which is to look at past cruise compasses. Past cruise compasses are very valuable. Now, you got a little bit of time. you got it until April of next year. It's, as a recording of this podcast, we're dealing with late October. So you still have a few months. My recommendation to you, Mindy, is keep checking the cruise compasses, especially when you get into, oh, February and March. You'll have a pretty good idea of what to expect. I can't tell you quite honestly because things can change between now and then. But if I were you, if I was in the exact same situation, I wanted to know 
My best recommendation is you have to talk to past guests. In general, they don't change it up all that much. Obviously, you, you picked out an example of when they do with that Canada cruise. But again, that's a different itinerary than the one you're doing. And I could totally see them changing it up based on itineraries. You know, when you're selling different places, Canada cruises may have a different age or demographic than than cruises that go to the Southern Caribbean Bahamas. Also, you're going during April, which is more of a... Uh, I, mean, I don't know when spring break is or when Easter falls in 2017, but it's in that time frame as opposed to a Canada cruise, which goes in the fall, school's in session. So again, demographics can change and a whole, there's a whole lot of different things there. So my, my, my best answer, and Mindy, I wish I could give you a better one, is you will not know ahead of time. They will not post it on the website or the or anywhere else. You're just going to have to keep an eye out for those cruise compasses as you get closer to the cruise, and that'll be your best bet. I know that's not, it's a tough thing. I'll tell you, a lot of people ask me this question, and that's, that's the best answer we have because, again, they're trying to manage their expectations there and not disappoint anybody. So by keeping it kind of vague, that just works to their benefit for whatever reason. So, uh, Mindy, I, I hope that kind of helps. I know it's not the answer you're looking for, but I hope that at least it gives you some kind of direction and what to expect and to not keep checking the, the calendar on your cruise planner. You're more than welcome to, but it's not going to show up there ever. So, Thank you, Mindy, for the email. Always appreciate it. Uh, next, we have an email from Brian Robinson. We're going to tell you, Matt, we just finished our Empress five-night sailing. want to tell you a few thoughts about this cruise. Embarkation. This was the smoothest of any cruise. Being platinum members, we got to board right after Pinnacle and Sweet Guests. We were on board before 11 a.m. In terms of food, the Windjamer was the Windjamer. First day tasted good. You quickly notice after a couple days, you start wishing for more. The main dining room does help break up some of the same old, same old with the Windjammer. Now, we did enjoy our main dining room for dinners. However, the food, or the menu rather, doesn't change a whole lot. The menus are different than the rest of the fleet. The entertainment was really good. Some entertainment you would find on other Royal Caribbean ships. Overall, this is a really good cruise. It's much more laid back than what you would find elsewhere. The service felt to be a step up from the cruise we have taken. For the price, you really can't go wrong with Empress. Wanted to say thanks to you and Michael Poole for the various blog posts on the cruise. It was very helpful in helping us make a decision to take this cruise. Something else to remember when doing Empress is they don't have the LCD touchscreens like on other ships. So remember to bring your sea compass with you for the events going on. Something helpful for us was flying into Fort Lauderdale instead of Miami just because we found flights into Fort Lauderdale were cheaper. At the Fort Lauderdale airport, they run shuttles to the Tri-Rail. The Tri-Rail runs every day and goes to the Miami airport. We were able to get the Miami airport with this service for only 10 bucks. Something, just something we wanted to share with everybody. Now for the countdown is on for the Navigator and the next Royal Caribbean blog group cruise. Brian, terrific email, dude. Love this. Love the thoughts on this. A lot of people are looking at Empress for exactly the reason you just mentioned here, the price, because it is just really, really inexpensive. And if you're looking for a great getaway cruise, boy, this is wonderful here. So I am so happy to hear your thoughts about this, Brian. And thank you for the tips, by the way, about Fort Lauderdale and Miami. In general, when you fly into any cruise in Florida, you have a cruise and you have to fly in. If your cruise goes out, no matter where it goes out of, consider all airports in the state. The reason is because at worst, I would say the worst case scenario is your cruise out of Miami and you could fly into Tampa for really cheap. Tampa is only a couple hour car ride. I mean, in the ballpark about four. But that's, look, if you could save hundreds of dollars, that might be worth it to you. But keep in mind, there are many airports, Tampa, Orlando, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, West Palm Beach, Fort Myers. These are very common airports that a lot of carriers serve. And when you're looking at any cruise in Florida, consider different alternative airports for better pricing. 
because don't assume that if your cruise goes out of Fort Lauderdale, you have to fly out of Fort Lauderdale, or your cruise goes out of Miami, you have to fly out of Miami, or your cruise goes out of Port Canaveral, you have to go into Orlando. A lot of different options out there, and it may be worth it to consider them, other airports, because it can save you literally hundreds of dollars, especially the larger your family. So, Brian, thank you, my friend. Love the email. Always love uh, firsthand reports like that. And we have time for one more email. It's from Tracy in Miami, Florida. Greetings to our benevolent Royal Caribbean overlord. <laughs> I'm re- I'm a recovering Disney cruiser with a trip on Oasis of the Seas in September 2017. Thanks, Jackie York. It seems that all of Royal Caribbean's new ships are in the mega size category. We know that their size limits them to certain ports and itineraries. That got me thinking about the future of Royal Caribbean ship design. Is there a limit to the number and types of overhauls that can be done to on the smaller ships? Will there come a time when Royal Caribbean needs to build new smaller ships? And do you know if they have any plans? for small ships that are happen to be new. Thanks, Matt. Keep up the great work. Tracy, you have asked the the question among Royal Caribbean fans, right? What does the future hold for a number of aspects of the cruise experience? And I'll tell you, uh, no one knows, honestly, outside of Miami headquarters. Here's what my take on it is, and you can take it for what it's worth. I don't believe Royal Caribbean will build any more small ships. Small, I'm using the air quotes for small. Small meaning something smaller than 4,000 passengers. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think Royal Caribbean, and we talked about this in last week's episode about with the Project Icon, but I really feel that Royal Caribbean has found that the economy of scale that works for them is these larger ships. And as every year goes goes on, these ports adjust, right? They're not stupid. They, they, re, they realize that the cruise ships are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And if they want to get or retain or even get more of their share of the pie in terms of ships coming to their ports, they have to grow with it. When the Oasis class first came out, there was literally like two ports that could go there, right? Uh, I believe Nassau built an extension. Royal Caribbean had to build a port in Falmouth. And Cozumel was just large enough to handle. I mean, they only had a couple ports. Now, there's so many more ports that can handle these size ships. Now, not every ship that comes out is going to be Oasis size. We already know this with the Project Icon class, which is going to be... <laughs> it's about a 1,000 passengers less than than the Oasis class, but that is still something. But I think that is really their sweet spot in terms of being able to build these large ships that can offer these kinds of things. It's more than the port size. It's about offering the types of activities and entertainment that guests have come to expect from Royal Caribbean. Royal Caribbean has built a reputation for itself for offering the latest, greatest, hottest, newest, best, most funnest things out there on a cruise ship. Can't believe it's still floating kind of scenarios, right? That's their game. They've kind of carved that niche for them, and it's really worked out well for them. Now, you can still do that on the smaller ships, and to your question earlier, is there a limit in terms of the overhauls? Not really. I mean, you only have a certain amount of space, and when you add things to a ship, it's going to come at the expense of something else, right? So if you're like, I want to add a flow rider to a Radiance class ship, which will probably never happen, but if you wanted to, you could, theoretically, but you would have to remove something else, and usually there's not room for that kind of thing. In the past, on other ships, like Voyager-class ships, they've said, you know what, we're going to get rid of the of the skating rink, the, the indoor skating rink, or inline, sorry, not indoor, inline skating rink. Get rid of that and put a flow rider there because that's a better use of space anyway. Uh, we've seen on other ships, you know, they've taken away a nightclub and replaced it with a restaurant. You know, they can do things like that, but, it, you know, they got a tr- it's a trade-off as opposed to building new space on board. The rare exception has been ships like Sovereign of the Seas and Enchantment of the Seas that actually got stretched. They cut the ship in half, added a brand new section in the middle, and then s- sealed it back up. What's ended up happening, I, I think what we've heard over the years, that's not really cost-effective. It's very expensive to do. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and it's just, you know, it's it's not a very... I guess the ROI on it is not there. So, 
they kind of decided that's not really going to happen. So, is there? But your other question, you know, is there limited types of overhauls? I mean, they can do overhauls as many off as they like. I mean, most of them, especially on the older ships, will just be you know essentially refreshing things, maybe changing out restaurants. But you're not going to add new venues per se without removing venues. I do believe though, all cruise ships kind of have a a age time. Usually, once a ship gets about 20 years old, give or take, they Royal Caribbean starts to consider leaving the fleet. Uh, Empress of the Seas is the ex- is the exception, but you know we've seen this with the Sovereign class, right? Sovereign of the Seas and Monarch of the Seas have both exited the fleet, transferred to different fleets. We've seen uh, a couple of different ships being sold off to other cruise lines. When they get to a certain age, they're 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 they've Royal Caribbean's gotten their money's worth out of it, and you know the maintenance and and the scale of economy with the newer ships coming online, it's better to move them on to somewhere else, and they'll continue serving in other capacities on other lines, but in general. There is no limit on overhauls, but after a certain time, there's that's kind of it, essentially. At least that's what Royal Caribbean is shown. But then again, all that being said, they brought back Empress. But Empress, I think, is being brought back. In fact, we know Empress was brought back specifically for Cuba, first and foremost, right? They need a ship that can fit into Cuba now. Empress is that ship, and it's the only ship, so that's why she's back. So... Will they build a new smaller ship? I, I just don't think so. I don't think we're going to see a Radiance-class ship being built. That kind of size ship, right? I, I Call me crazy. And I'd be ha- I'd be thrilled, in fact, if they changed their mind. But I just don't see it happening. I, I think that they have said many times they're a business. They have to maximize that money. And they can clearly make more money with a 4,000-plus passenger ship than they can with a 2,000-plus passenger ship. Simple as that. I think that's really what it comes down to more than anything else. I hope that they will, you know, despite everything I've said, I hope that they'll still build them because certain ports will not be able to account, you know, be able to afford an Oasis class ship. Simple as that, right? Especially smaller ports, older ports that, you know, like I don't think Alaska will ever have that kind of capacity. Call me, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that's going to happen. You never know. Uh, that's the funny thing about the future is we we never know, but I just think that's kind of where we're at here in 2016 with my non-existent crystal ball that I'm that I'm gazing into and trying to get an answer for you. That's my take on it, Tracy. I would love to hear everybody's thoughts on should they build another small class of ships. And also, I want to hear if you do think they should, I want to hear what your definition of small is. Because these days, I'm hearing more and more people refer to ships that have... 3,000 passengers as small, you know, 4,000 passengers as small. It's kind of interesting because in the grand sense of definition, that's not 3,000 plus is big. But, hey, you know, maybe that definition just needs to change along with it. So thank you, Tracy, for the email. Thank you to everybody for the wonderful comments. Love doing this. Be sure to send me your emails, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, M-A-T-T at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.